From Stockholm Studios in Bushwick, Brooklyn, this is The LPV Show, a weekly discussion from the world of photography and photo books. Here's your host, Brian Formals. Our guest today is Kalika Law. Oh, man, I'm great to be here, man. Thank you, thank yeah, you. We're, we're really excited to have you. We've been planning, we've actually been plotting this for probably <laughs> yeah. a couple months. Yeah, we've when been we emailing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, and I, I think I mentioned this to you, like when you, you kind of like blasted onto my radar like last year and I had like four different people like sending me stuff. I know, you know, that doesn't sound like a lot, but I, a lot of times people don't really reach out that way. It's like, you got to see this guy's stuff. And then you showed up, uh, you started showing up on a lot of the blogs, and then um, you kind of got the adopted nickname of Harlem's Street Photographer. <laughs> so yeah. how do you feel about that, being um, like the official street photographer? I, I, I try to live beyond titles and um, concepts, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Because yeah. I may be Harlem's official street photographer for time, uh -huh. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but nah, to me that's an accolade. To me that that's a great pat on the back to be recognized by that. You know, I didn't. I told time that a lot of the people in that area regard me as the official 125th photographer. Right, right. 125th, but they right. said Harlem. Yeah. So you know, cool, cool, cool. I mean, that's, you know what I mean. Like I focus yeah. on one corner, but yeah. they 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 made it sound like the entire. Uh, yeah. uh, neighborhood yeah, of Harlem. Yeah, Harlem's a big place. Yeah. A lot of different things going on. I'm, and I'm really just focused on 125th and Lexington. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? So within that area, you know, certain people will come out of jail and see me and be like, right. yo, who the hell are you? Who are you <laughs> taking pictures? And at this point, somebody else would be like, yo, that's Kylie. That's the official uh -huh. two-fifth photographer. So that's why I told it to time ah, because nice. if somebody questions me, somebody else at this point will stand up and in my defense, say, yeah. yo, he's the official, you know what I'm saying, to, yeah, yeah. to deter them from, you know, questioning me or anything like that. Right. But, so when did you start? When did you start shooting on 125th and Lex? Um, Late 2011. Okay. Late 2011, I was, I was shooting the daytime. I was shooting in the afternoon, and there was one picture that I took which made me just gravitate to that corner. Uh -huh. Because previously I was studying photographers like Joe Memberwitz, who talks about shooting on Park Avenue and everything that Park Avenue represented. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I said, if I want to be a great photographer, let me focus in on one specific theme. Every great body of work has a specific theme which pervades the whole project. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yo, what corner can I really, you know, uh, uh, fall into? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. What corner can I focus on? And at first I was like, 116th Street and like 7th Ave, like I was moving around. Yeah, I was even yeah. shooting like Prince Street, downtown LES, just like all over. Mm -hmm. And then I took this one picture on Lexington. It was a crackhead with mm -hmm. uh, a pacifier and a middle finger. Mm -hmm. Basically, I stopped her. There was like a group of people and I, I stopped her and I said, can I take a portrait? Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, okay, just give me a few dollars. I'm like, I'll give you two dollars. She was like, okay. And she was giving me the middle finger, uh -huh. and I'm like loving it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just <laughs> loving that, I'm taking pictures. But then I noticed the pacifier around uh -huh. her neck. Uh -huh. So I said, put the pacifier in your mouth. Uh -huh. So picture this crackhead with a bald head, <laughs> scars on her face, mm -hmm. with a pacifier in her mouth giving me the finger. Mm -hmm. And um, as I was taking the portrait, there was a brother who worked for the MTA. He was like, yo, brother, we don't want to be seen like that. We don't want to be documented in the scene like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I just approached him respectfully and was like, look, I'm a documentarian, I'm a street photographer, I'm documenting the positive, the negative, the neutral, 360 degrees of everything that I see, I'm documenting. And he was like, well, we don't want to be seen like that. So anyway, like I fell back from the area mm -hmm. for like, not long, maybe like a week, and I came back out and um, I was like, yo, especially after looking at that photograph of, of the crackhead with the pacifier, I was like, I have to focus in, that's my block, that's my corner. Plus, like, since the age of 14, I got a history of coming to Harlem for the right. esoteric information, the books. I was studying, just a, a truth seeker. So right. I've been in the area for that previously. Right, right. Without being a photographer or an artist. But um, anyway, after that uh, uh, experience with the crackhead, um, I started coming around more often, but it was still, like, daytime. Mm -hmm. It took me a while to focus and uh, narrow it down to even more niche mm -hmm, for it mm -hmm. being at nighttime and specifically only at nighttime. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a, I don't want to just keep talking. Oh yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting how it all kind of like organically came together where you have this philosophy 
I mean, a lot of times some street photographers you run and they don't really have a philosophy or reason why they're actually out there doing it. It might be aesthetic based or like they'll give you some generic kind of thing about the life in the city or whatever. But it seems like you were really kind of building up to this moment, yes. you know? Yes. And then the mix of like the, your personal philosophy of what you want to do and what you want to say with that photo and then bam, you know, it's yes. like all comes together. So I think it's really interesting anytime that happens and you can really see it when a photographer really finds their thing, their place. And then a lot of times that's when those photos just become really explosive. Yes. And I think that's exactly what happened <laughs> with you where it's the marriage of the aesthetics, the subject matter, and then your personal philosophy, you know? So I think like, you know, it, it comes through in the photos. But like, I think technically why, you know, technically speaking too, like at night, do you feel like it just, like shooting the, with at the, you're shooting at like F1.8, right? Like wide open. 1.2. 1.2 on that. Yeah, he's got a fast right. <laughs> so you got the 1.2. So 55 that 55 millimeter lens, 1.2. Right, right. And the old Nikon. Mm -hmm. And you're shooting the one, one, 160 ISO film, uh -huh. which is daylight wow. film. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And no flash. Yeah. So so I make the I make the film struggle to render an image, to make an exposure. Mm -hmm. And that struggle that the film is going through uh, comp complements the same struggle in the hood that I'm documenting. So right. there, there were these levels and layers of of meaning behind my work. Cause you know, like you like you said, you know, I don't want to be a photographer that's just capturing inconsistent images, mm -hmm. whether they be beautiful or not, or great images. I don't I don't want to just have a collection of inconsistencies. Right, right. You know what I mean? Which right. is fine. I was doing that. I was doing that for a while. But as I was continuing to study the great photographers, I was like, well. All of these people that I really want to emulate and, and the ones that I admire have a specific line going through their work, right. a coherent th theme going mm -hmm. through their work, which makes it great and ties it mm -hmm. together. Plus, like my orientation towards photography comes from filmmaking. Right. So I'm trying right. to do a story. It's a more of a storytelling uh, style of photography mm -hmm. I do where all of the images aesthetically uh, reflect one another, mm -hmm. but also that same theme of... Um, of beauty within the darkness, beauty right. where it wouldn't be found. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what um, drives me. So the filmmaking came first. When did yes. you start with the filmmaking? I mean, was this out of like, since you were in high school or a little kid? I mean, when did you have the bug that you wanted to tell visual stories? Well, that's that's um very interesting because my my mother bought me a camera. I begged her. I pleaded with her when I was fourteen. Mom, buy me this camera. I'm breakdancing. I need to film it. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to skateboard too, so we would mm -hmm. skateboard. Yo, mom, I need to film this. So fast forward. I was age fourteen then. Fast forward, age nineteen. I'm pouring coffee in a nursing home. The most mundane act you could imagine. Just pouring twenty four cups of coffee at a time with two hands, just going through it like that. And I thought to myself, right then as I was doing this. I can't wait to make a movie. All right, and right. when I thought that, the next thought was, what the hell, where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Literally, I was like, where did that come from? Yeah. Like, to make, I can't wait to make a movie. Um, but then I thought about it and I was like, damn, I really wish I could make a movie. And then I started a community college out in uh, Suffolk, Long Island. And uh, there was one elective called Introduction to Digital Filmmaking. Okay. And I took the elective and I was bullshitting. Like I was getting like straight C's. I was just bullshitting. Mm -hmm. And then finally, uh, they said, make it, make a project without words, uh, a narrative story, a short film with no words, tell the story cinematically with mm -hmm. the scenes. So I made this movie called The Absorption of Light and I was 19 and then I used all the Wu-Tang's music. Uh -huh. So after the movie was made, I was like, yo, I got to get this in their hands. And I met Killer Priest. Oh, and, wow. and prior to that, I had uh, known... Um, you know, Papa Wu and, you know, just so different affiliates to the Wu-Tang Clan. Mm -hmm. But after that movie, like, I just started meeting everybody. And, um, you know, later on, me and Jizza became friends. So when Jizza and I had developed a relationship as uh -huh. friends, um, he was coming out to my area of Long Island one day. Uh -huh. And I said to my brother, yo, the Jizza's coming out. I want to take some pictures of him. Can I borrow your camera? And my brother was like, nah. <laughs> what? Is that I don't let people borrow my oh, shit. Oh, you know man. what I'm saying? I don't let people borrow my stuff, man. I'm like, yo, dude, I work with $100,000 switchboards at my job because I'm yeah. a technician uh -huh. for AMC. Uh -huh. So I'm trying to explain to him, like, I'm not going to break your camera. And he's still like, no. And he's a little stubborn, so I'll just let it be. And I'm, I went and I was just sitting on my bed having a by myself meeting. Mm -hmm. Just thinking, like, how can I get a camera right now? How can I, the gist is coming out. Right. You know what I'm saying? I've never, because we had uh, this great friendship, but I've never documented it. Uh -huh, uh -huh. It wasn't about taking pictures 
I, I'm never the type of person to take pictures with famous people right. and like put it on my website. Like, oh, I'm standing with so and so. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I always yeah. felt like that makes the other person look like uh, like they're trying to you know, uh, become magnetized yeah, or yeah. for this other person's shine. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So so basically, I just wanted to take pictures of Jizza. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mm -hmm. thought that would be interesting. And again, prior to this, I thought photography was boring. Right, you know what right, I mean? Right. So, so anyway, my brother said, no, you can't borrow my camera. And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, damn, my pops, he used to take pictures of me on Christmas, Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. on the swing set when I was a kid. So I went and I was like, yo, dad, you got that camera that you used oh, to man. use? And yo, he he went into his closet, you know, went through a few things, pulled out this uh, real dusty um, Canon AE one. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. my yeah, first yeah, camera. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah. you know what I mean? Was, you know, and the camera itself, the the uh, the metallic nature of it, the weight of it. Uh -huh. I hadn't seen a camera like that since I was a kid, uh -huh. and um. Like I said, I thought photography was boring because all I was used to was digital photography and, mm -hmm. and like phone photography and people just snapping a picture of something which is nothing. Mm -hmm. And then the the fact that that camera required film and the weight of it and just the <laughs> right, metallic right. nature, I'm like, yo, this is an art form. And um, I didn't know because I took some pictures of Jizza and I didn't know you weren't supposed to open up the back. Oh no. And, and, no. and, and let the light hit it. So it, I didn't know the, 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 the way it worked. Uh -huh. So I was like, yo, did I shoot that stuff? How do I get the film out? Like all of that. And um, all of those, my first few shots, man, they're all in uh, triple stage darkness. You know, length, width, and depth of the universe, man. They're lost forever, man. But um. You know, they're being viewed in in a gallery of intergalactic. Oh yeah, I used to say, yeah, yeah. In LA, I had a couple like I called them the ghost rolls. It was I had a flash, and these were night in Hollywood. I would go out and shooting in Hollywood, and I got at least three of these rolls where the flash didn't sync or something. Oh. And it's the same thing. It's just nothing. I just I took them up and I like I hung them up on the wall. I'm like, that's a ghost roll. I never <laughs> oh, know what's yeah, exactly. never know yeah. what's there. You know, so it's like, yeah, it's. That, and there's nothing you can do. Yeah. You can't, what are you going to, there's literally nothing. You can, well, you can get mad and you get pissed off, but yeah. that's not going to make the photos come back, you know? <laughs> Let me tell you, everything has a purpose. Those little experiences help you. Those little experiences help me. I remember one night, uh, the night um, leading into me shooting on Lexington Avenue, 125th Street. Mm -hmm. The deciding factor in that, after I had already taken that picture of the crackhead, mm -hmm. the deciding factor was, okay, I could get the gutterest, most visceral, grimy images in New York City on mm -hmm. this one corner. Mm -hmm. And I, I resolved myself that I would leave my house at 11 p.m. and shoot all night to like Dang. 7, 11, whatever the next day, the next morning. Uh -huh. So I come out, this is November 21st, 2011. Uh -huh. And I came out at 11 at night. I, I parked down by Houston Street in the LES, and um, I was just like filled with film. Both my cargo pants, both side pockets had like 20 rolls of film, Damn. and I was good. I had my Nikon vest with a leather, a leather jacket <laughs> on, and I was ready. So I go out to shoot that night, and um, I, was, I was just like shooting all sorts of crazy, sketchy shit. That's the night that I met Frenchie, who's, uh -huh. who's a prominent right. figure in my photography. Right. We could talk about him too. Yeah. Um, but at some point in the night, I overcranked my camera after the 36th shot, and oh, I broke the film right, in yeah, the camera. Yeah, and I said to myself, man, it's early, it's 3 a.m., which uh -huh. was early for me at that point, and I still had mad film. I said, yo, and that was the only camera I had. I said, I gotta get the film out in a dark place mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I could reload and continue shooting. So I hopped into the subway, and I was like, yo, I was looking, basically looking at the tracks, thinking, should I hop into the tracks oh, and go in there and just take the film out and reload so I could preserve the roll and not lose it if the light exposes yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, as I'm looking at the tracks, I turn my head around and I see uh, one of the female uh, uh, MTA janitors come out one of those janitor closets underneath the steps, uh -huh. underneath the stairway. Oh, okay. You know? So I say to her, I'm like, look, I'm going to Columbia. I'm an NYU student. I just started lying, like, yo, I'm doing a film, a film project for class. Uh -huh. I really need to change out the role. She probably didn't even understand yeah. the fact that I needed darkness. I'm trying to show I shoot film. I yeah, pulled out yeah. one of the cans from my, from my pant pocket. Anyhow, she agrees, and we go into the closet together. I say, please turn the lights off. I took my leather coat off. I zipped it up. I put the camera in the coat. I put my hands, my arms through the sleeves, and I, be, oh, I started using it as a dark bag wow. Wow. <laughs> in the dark. Nice. You know, nice. so I, I took the film out. I reloaded it, loaded up the film. I put that roll like I had a marker. I put like an X on the canister, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. put it in my pocket, and um, 
basically that experience, man, was like incredible. Like I'm not religious, but like to the woman, I forget the janitor's name. I was just like, yo, God bless you. You know so, what I mean? But did the role come out? I mean, yes. did you save it? Now yes. You, uh, and what's so it. instrumental and important to me about that role is prior to that experience happening when I overcranked the camera, I had walked into a congregation of crackheads and I had taken a shot and at that point I used the flash. Mm -hmm. So the flash went off and all of them scattered except one who put his hands up. Mm -hmm. And I, I said to myself, man, yo, I gotta go and uh, develop that film as soon as possible. And then it ended up breaking in the camera. Then I ended up doing what I just told you, uh -huh, uh -huh. changing it out, saving it. I went home. The, the next morning I got home, I developed it immediately. I stayed up all night shooting, uh -huh. and then I go, put my hand in the water and the chemicals, and developed it, and I saw the shot of Frenchie uh -huh. with his hands up, and I was like, yo, if I ever see that man again, try to build a body of work yeah. just on him. Yeah. So that whole story is deep to me, man, because that was really the pivotal, uh, life-changing, decision-making uh -huh. moment when I focused in on that corner. It's also the night I met Frenchie, right. and it's also the night wow where I could have lost yeah. the images of Frenchie. Lost, yeah, 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 and it would have never come together. Exactly. It would have never came together. Yeah, I like, so he's, I mean, at this point, like, he's obviously a central kind of figure in the work, but do you have, are you kind of building, like, this collection of people, and you're going to yes. try to focus mm -hmm. it on kind of, like, these individuals and then expand out from there? Or, like, how, I mean, I guess it depends on the final nature of the work. Are you thinking in terms of a book, or are you thinking in terms of, like, this is going to be something you're going to do for... Ever for here, you know what I probably, mean. Probably, probably. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm um, I got a bunch of other projects. I've been going back and forth to Jamaica. Mm -hmm. um, I made a movie called Field Niggas, and mm -hmm. I, I basically did the same thing with that type of aesthetic in Jamaica. But outside of the movie stuff, I, I, I still uh, photograph Jamaica too. Mm -hmm. But Frenchie is has been missing now for a, about a year. Oh, you know really? what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, I haven't seen him in a year. Um. But there's many other subjects that I was always shooting mm -hmm. simultaneously as I was shooting Frenchie. And um, he, he just became the main character. He yeah, became yeah. the central theme of the work because, uh, you know, this is a 53-year-old bipolar schizophrenic, but very happy at the same time, very loving. You know what I'm saying? I would come out to the streets and they would say, yo, Frenchie broke uh, the McDonald's uh, glass window. He, he threw a garbage can through it. And I was like, like loving that, like shit. I wish that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I could have been there to witness it, <laughs> even if I didn't film it right, or, right. or take a picture, just to be there. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. So our relationship was like, it was beyond photography. We were just, just like people, uh -huh. you know, real people. And um, it got to the point with Frenchie that he, he didn't want me to like leave. Like he would get sad, mm -hmm. and I can't imagine the loneliness he was experiencing in the streets. Right. And um, he used to follow me into the subway when I was like leaving, or follow me to my car, mm -hmm. and one time I'm like, yo, Frenchie, I gotta go take a piss. So I'll just walk down to 124th Street, Lexington 124th, it's real dark, and um, I'm taking a piss, and I look behind me, and there, there he is. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, yo, what are you doing, man? Yeah, like, yeah. chill. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But then he pulls out, and he starts pissing right next to me. Oh, so for a minute, we were just two regular men just in the bathroom taking yeah, a piss. Yeah. Like, just even though we were in the street, in the hood at night, and yeah. it's, you know, this 53-year-old crackhead, and at the time I was like a 27-year-old photographer, uh -huh. well-dressed, and he's dressed with snot-riddled peacoats. Right. But it, it's just for a moment, it was like mm -hmm. just normal, just taking a piss there. Because what's more human than... Just standing right, up, right, like right. you know what I mean. Right. But um, after he went missing, um, I started focusing on a, on a, on a girl named um, Sapphire, uh -huh. and at the same time, I'm shooting everyone. Right. But right. this other girl, Sapphire, um, she went missing recently too. I haven't seen her in about three or four months, but uh, she had the same energy as Frenchie, that magnetism, mm -hmm. that that glow. Yeah. When you look at my work, there's a there's a certain uh, beyond the lighting and stuff. Mm -hmm. Come, coming out of the person, there's a certain glow and energy mm -hmm. that only few people have, you know what I mean? Right, right. So, I mean, do you think, obviously, I don't, anytime I kind of look at that type of work, and I think we discussed this in a previous episode where we, we would say, well, it looks like they're all marginalized people, and I was like, you don't want to, you don't want to label them like that yeah. way, and I don't, it's like, you don't want to say, well, these are all drug addicts or they're marginalized people, because it's not, to me, it's like it's not fair to paint them that way, mm -hmm. you know? So, but you do, it is a certain, you know, it is people that are going to be up at night and you're, like, trying to, like, survive and f find their fix if they're an addict or whatever. So, like, it is a different different aspect of society that you're looking at, a different aspect of New York, yeah. different aspect of Manhattan, yeah. too, yeah. where Manhattan has that, 
obviously people feel like it's you know overly corporatized and it's mm -hmm. gentrified and it's all rich and wealthy people uh, and uh, like uh. this but you're kind of at the same time saying no this other like other world exists and that other world yeah. is beautiful yeah. you know what i'm saying like like i grew up like in, I was born in, in 85, mm -hmm. but I was conscious as a kid, so I still remember being three years old, four years old, five. I remember the 80s a little mm -hmm. bit. And then the 90s, I was fully conscious, you know what I'm saying? And I remember how grimy and gritty the city was before everything became politically correct, mm -hmm, before mm -hmm. you couldn't say certain things, before mm -hmm. when the city was more offensive. Right. I remember that, like, you know what I'm saying? And um, um, all of the, you know, 42nd Street, how it used to be. And um, just, you know, how Harlem, the entire Harlem used to be wild. Now, mm -hmm. really, it's only this corner. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, but Harlem is still live as far as people just holding down and representing their neighborhood. Yeah. Um, all of my boys and my brothers throughout the area, whatever corner, 135th and Lenox, and it's just everywhere. But for me, that one corner of Lexington, 125th Street, is like, it's so police um, it's heavily policed, mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, there's still a lot of shit that is going on, mm -hmm. and it's a fast-paced area. That's why in my movie, Field Niggas, mm -hmm. the whole thing is in slow motion, mm. because you got to slow it down for a minute. Yeah, you got the yeah. four, five, six subway station with people going and coming, you know what I'm saying? But then there's this element which never goes and comes. They stay. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And I got in with them. Yeah. So that's how profound this is, that I really had to being like a, a suicidal mentality mm -hmm. without even being depressed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just to like be like, yo, I don't give a fuck what happens to my physical. Like, I gotta be here to do this. Otherwise, there would have been too much fear. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, and like yeah. I would imagine like any time they, they can smell fear, especially like people that are surviving mm -hmm. on, in that, that microcosm or in that world, like the core emotional instincts, I feel like can be heightened and sensitive because they're always looking around behind them. So you show that fear and they must like smell it a mile away. Right. So it's right. like you got to be like you belong there. That's why I think it's like so important that you have that full philosophy. Like you can come. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the minute you talk about it, it like comes out of you and it's alive. So they see that, that yeah. it's, you know, coming from deep within. Yeah, because if it wasn't real, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to put it this way. If I wasn't righteous, I wouldn't have been able to do what I do. Mm -hmm. Because they say in the Dhammapada uh, uh, Indian text, it says a hand with no wound could safely handle poison, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I have no wound in my hand, so I could safely t uh, handle poison and all sorts of shit, mm -hmm. but that just means I'm clean. Like for instance, if I had warrants out for my arrest, or if I was a criminal, mm -hmm. or if I was like coming around intimidating people, mm -hmm. then that all would've uh, made, me, it would've deterred me, it would've not allowed me entry mm -hmm. into what I do now, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But I feel that my safety lies in my defenselessness. Mm -hmm. By not having defenses, by not coming around with a helmet, you right. know what I'm saying? I won't fall off my bike, right. so to speak. By not even entertaining that, because I have to make that the most far foreign, it's not even in my mind, mm -hmm. because if it was there, I would attract it. Right. Because you know the mind attracts and the yeah. mind repels, yeah, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. It does both simultaneously, you know what I mean? But the thing about fear is, it it attracts the thing that it would prevent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So there's a lot of psychology that goes into like the way I think. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm going into an area which is considered, you know, this piss all over the ground, it, this throw, you know what I'm saying, you gotta watch where you walk. Mm -hmm. And I'm going into that area trying to depict beauty. Right, yeah. You right. know what I mean? Right. So that in itself is like, yo, the philosophies and the, the ideas and the thoughts have to be intact for me just to do that. But right. I've been in Harlem for the knowledge first, mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. it was ever an art form, before it was ever photography. It was, it was. I was coming around at an earnestness for the books, mm -hmm. and um, you know, the Five Percent Nation headquarters is on Seventh Avenue mm -hmm. and um, um, one twenty sixth, one twenty seventh, and I would come through to a law school, mm -hmm. which is a, a a school for growth and development of children. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And coming around early, studying that type of stuff. Uh, Lexington and 125th was a corner I would avoid. Right. I wasn't coming for that. Right. I was coming for knowledge and wisdom. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But now I'm coming as a photographer. Also, there's other levels to it. And, and um, I don't want to just keep going. No, no, no. But, you're fine. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I look at it like, you know, um, not to even compare myself, mm -hmm. but just to think about how Christ was who he surrounded himself with. And I'm not religious, mm -hmm. but he surrounded himself with the prostitutes. Mm -hmm. Even when he was like blessing a prostitute or a whore, um, like 
the apostles would be like, what are you doing? Like, mm -hmm. why are you spending time with her? And he'd be like, yo, you don't understand. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. kingdom of heaven is within. Like, regardless to what the exterior physical circumstance of anybody, a person mm -hmm. could have one limb left, the light is still there because right. the light's not the body, it's the mind. Right. The mind is right. still, you can't cut off all my limbs. Mm -hmm. I'm still thinking. My mind is still, you know what I'm saying? And it exists beyond the body, beyond the physical form. So part of my work is seeing people beyond the physical form, beyond the body. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and in yeah, doing yeah. so, I'm saving them. Mm -hmm. I'm baptizing them yeah. with light. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing I'm you know, I'm seeing them where they really are. Mm -hmm. Were you making were you making the, the photographs and the film at the exact same time too? Or are you doing were, would you go out separately one night saying, I'm just gonna shoot the film tonight and then also get like how how are you dividing at all that? first okay well, well the film is shot only within seven days mm -hmm. all right and the film came out of frustration of being a photographer with only a still camera and with only what the still camera could capture because I was hearing things mm -hmm. that don't end up in pictures and I was smelling things that still can never really end up in video mm -hmm. but I was seeing things which uh, didn't suit the still camera they they, they they suited a video camera. Yeah. So out of frustration, after two years of being in the area, I said, yo, it's time to make a movie. So I was at first coming out with three different things, the still camera, the video camera, and the audio recorder. And then it, it was too difficult to multitask between the three. Yeah. I figured it'd be a lot easier to multitask between the audio recorder and the video camera. So I started leaving the still camera at home. Yeah. So then I was just making a movie at that point because my, my earlier film, Antonyms of Beauty, I'm, it, it's edited using video, Super 8 video, um, and um, stills. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But when I started making field niggas, I was like, nah, no stills. Right, right. Plus, the people weren't able to differentiate between mm -hmm. the still camera and the video camera, mm -hmm. so they're posing oh, right, like right. it's a still well, shot. Was it, five, were you shooting on a 5D or? No, 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 um, a Lumix GH3. Mm. Yeah, with a Voigtlander 0.95 lens. So that's basically damn near what my setup is with the still camera because this is a 1.2 aperture yeah. um, lens, you know what I'm saying? But this is obviously a still film camera, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but I was trying to simulate the look of my photographs with the video for field niggas. I really wanted that same aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to separate the audio and the video because when you look at a picture, it's like reading a book. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They say a picture's worth a thousand words. Some books only have a thousand words, right, you know what I mean? Right, right. But a movie, when you see sync audio and, and words coming out of a person's mouth, you're not really reading into it as much as, unless it's a really good story, but you're not reading into it as much as you would if you were just seeing and hearing it separately. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Feel Niggas is like a visual book. Yeah, 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 yeah. And did you feel like after, was it a lot of it you found how like the pace of the film was once you had everything or you already had the whole movie in your head and you, you knew like, where were you finding it afterwards in post? Yes, definitely. I was freestyling the movie as I was doing it. And the acts of the movie are basically the days of the movie. Mm -hmm. I could tell, uh, but when a person looks at it as a viewer, it's seamless. So they really can't differentiate it. Yeah. But really, if you watch the movie after the 11th minute, it becomes you're set into the movie. You've accepted the fact that the audio and the video are going to be out of sync. Because the first few minutes, that's not you're not going to want to accept that on a cerebral level right. is, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what is this? But then you get used to it. By the by the 11th minute, um, it becomes a rainy day, a rainy night. It was just a, a dry night. Now, by the 11th minute, it's like the, a rainy night. And uh, that's the, that's July 2nd. I started July 1st. Mm -hmm. I came back out July 2nd. And then I came back uh, July 7th, July 22nd, 29th, and then August 3rd, and um, August 6th. And then I had some real old footage of Frenchie from winter 2013 that I used. So really it's it's eight it's eight days altogether. What'd you edit it? Uh, Final Cut Pro, nice. Studio 7. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So really that classic. I, yeah, classic, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Awesome man. Well we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about a, a book that I'm really excited that you brought. And I think we're gonna have a good conversation. Beautiful. Hey, we're back, and uh, you brought a great book, 
another intense book, Eddie Adams, Vietnam, which everyone, I mean, the front, front photo is one of the most famous photojournalism images in the, in the world, which is interesting because I actually saw on Netflix there's um, Vietnam in HD, and they have, like, oh, yeah. the, the, the film, like, the video footage of that as well, too. So you yeah. saw it. Right, right, like, right. if you see oh, it where they come oh, back yeah. and the, it's the same thing, you yeah. know. So it was, like, interesting to see that. Kind of uh, makes the picture more haunting when you've seen it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because, <laughs> like, the, gen the general guy's, like, laughing. Like, it's uh -huh. just another matter-of-fact thing that they do. And it's just, like, I've got to go do this, kill this guy, you know. It's like, terrible. I mean, Vietnam, I've always been fascinated with Vietnam, too. It's, like, the first kind of really grim movie I saw as a kid was Platoon. Oh, and we were like, we were like, how can we see this? What the heck? You know, like, we're, are we allowed to watch this? And what was like, maybe 10, 11 years old when I came out? And it was like, man, this is intense. So then we watched all those Vietnam movies like Hamburger Hill and just like anything. So we became fascinated. And I kind of like over the years, you know, you feel like the Vietnam in the 60s is kind of like oversaturated in the media. But now I'm, I'm going back, it's like, yeah. I want to do something on the Vietnam, I don't know. Just because it's like that war and that, that time is so crazy. So I'm glad you brought the book. Um, so how long have you had this? Um, I had that book for a while now. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly how long, but uh, I oh, seen were. it in a bookstore and I picked it up immediately because Eddie Adams never wanted to publish a book. Mm -hmm. You know, he this came out post, you know, his life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, different people helped, like, uh, I think his wife and a few, few people, maybe his son, helped get this out there. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, he was always against, you know, um, publishing a book. Mainly, not because he hated books, but mainly because uh, a lot of people don't do it right. Mm -hmm. And he had some of, some of his work published prior to this book. And he was real, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a whole story behind um, how pissed off he was about that. It was mm -hmm. like something against the power or, you know, fight the power or stand up against the power. Something, mm -hmm. some, some weird title. Um, but, yeah, man, basically, oh, man, that's a good picture. you know, the type of photography I do is like, Damn near a war photographer. <laughs> like, yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. Like I'll, I'll put myself in the war zone, mm -hmm. and the the camera I'm using, the Nikon F2, mm -hmm. uh, along with the Nikon F1, were the most used cameras in, in the Vietnam conflict. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, um, the Nikon F1 came out in 1959, mm -hmm. so its timing was ready for the for the Vietnam War. But then the Nikon F2 came out in 1971, mm -hmm. which still was, you know, uh, going on during the tail Vietnam. end of it, yeah. Yeah. And the way that these cameras were built, you know, they're reputed, you know, to be, if you don't have a gun, I mean, Eddie Adams never carried a gun mm -hmm. as, a, as a war photographer, but if you were in a state where you needed to have a weapon, the camera was <laughs> so heavy right. and so durable that you could swing this and knock somebody out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, it has like a dual purpose. It has a dual purpose. Yeah. And the lens wouldn't fall off or anything. So right. you know that that F mount goes a long way. But yeah, this this is a book that I go through for inspiration. Mm -hmm. I go through that book and I look at the work and although my work is in color and really isn't what he's doing, I mean, I get inspiration from complete opposite things. Right, and, right, right. You know, but, um, yeah, the way he was as a man and as a person, as a photographer, uh, inspires my work. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And obviously a lot of people know him from the Eddie Adams workshop, mm -hmm. you know, now, which is a huge, huge thing oh, yeah. where they go up, it's uh, upstate, right, every year, and they kind of, it's an intensive it's a week long, right? The Eddie Adams workshop? Yeah. It's like a week long, and you get an assignment in that week, and you got to go do it, and they edit in that week and basically like you don't sleep yeah it's like an intensive like photographer like boot camp <laughs> every year and i know a couple of friends who end up they work they have like different teams so yeah his legacy is you know got a lot of photographers that are kind of like trying to follow in the footsteps and he never you know. sold out i mean eddie adams was offered a bunch of different jobs that he never took i mean he did shoot for playboy you know at one point but he enjoyed that like yeah, right, <laughs> you right, know what right. i mean who right. wouldn't like he was yeah. real yeah you know but um it was yeah. different back then too. yeah picture <laughs> a war photographer now shooting breasts like you know what right. i'm saying that's right. a very interesting career you know yeah. but um 
Yeah, man. I mean, there's there's many photographers which inspire me, and I got a bunch of books. But when I had to like go through a book, when you suggested that I bring one, mm-hmm. it was like, hold on, definitely this Eddie Adams book, definitely bring it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're a, you're very much a student of photography too. Like oh, you yeah. said, you've covered. I mean, I mean, like that's always like it's a hundred percent time. Anytime like you see a photographer and you know that they've been through the books, you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. you can just tell talking to them. It's like there's that. Y- you just have to like that visual literacy is yeah. what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you gotta like, you gotta kind of dig in. And these days, what's so difficult with books and this kind of the basis of the show is that you there's a lot of so many great books out there, but I can't see them all. Exactly, like they're expensive, they're limited editions, or they're out of print. Or I don't trip on that. I don't yeah. trip on owning anything. Like I'll go to the library, mm-hmm. and I've studied so many Gary Winogrand books and <laughs> photographs in the library that I would never be able to afford. Right. Um, and, and many of them just out of print. Certain yeah. libraries have originals right. of these great photography books, mm. which now sell for over $1,000. Right. Mm. So I'll just go to the library. You know, when I got time, I'll spend a day. I'll spend a few hours. Because nice. that's what I love, man. I love to just like sit down in the library with the books that I love and go through it. Yeah. And then I'll come out there, come out of the library with the greatest yeah. mindset and inspiration Many people come up to me and they say, yo, you inspire me as a photographer, so-and-so. But I'm just thinking, like, man, if they knew what I do. (laughs) Like, literally, like, I watch documentaries. Mm -hmm. YouTube is the greatest encyclopedia going for the world Uh right Uh now. And I watch a wealth of documentaries from Dado Moriyama Mm -hmm. to, you know, Iraqi, Nobuyoshi Iraqi. Um, But, uh, yeah, man, I mean, I love love all of the great Magnum photographers. Obviously, the big books like Robert Frank, The Americans, um, all of those books. Um, uh, yeah, I did exactly Eggleston. the same thing when in LA when I picked up photography. It's like I used that library card and I would just check out as many as I could. Like Eugene Ashe, Friedlander, like any, like Dysono, like all those guys I could get my hands on. It was like amazing. It was the best sort of yeah. like education. Just every every like two weeks or every month, I'd come back with like this other stuff. Yeah. And I don't know why I don't do it in New York. This is yeah. why I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm losing yeah. my head. You're sitting there saying that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Like, that, I can do that. Yeah. You know, Brian, you are able to do that. You can go to the library yourself. You know, but I guess you know, like these when we have these the the podcasts and I go to some of the photo books ones. I just I'm always interested like the ones that you're gonna pull off of your shelf, like, this is the yeah. book you gotta uh-huh. see, right? Exactly. Like, those are the ones. That's, that book know. is rare, man. Like, that book, I actually lent that book to Jamel Shabazz. Oh, wow. Gave that to him for, like, a few, for, like, a while. Um. Oh, actually, I'm bugging. Damn, did I? Oh, yeah, I think I did <laughs> lend it to him. I remember he lent me, uh, man, I'm not gonna remember the title <laughs> of the book he gave me. But that brother would, if you ever interview him, he'll tell you about his fascination with, with Vietnam. He's actually planning to go there. Oh, like, wow. Like, even nowadays. I think maybe he went, because I haven't heard from him in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, like, I, you know, I definitely showed him this book. If I didn't lend it to him, I took a picture of him with my iPhone and sent it to him, <laughs> and he was bugging over this book. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Eddie Adams, man, the famous picture of um, the, 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 the Vietnamese um, um, prisoner, you know, uh, shooting the, the general in Saigon right there. Like, uh, this guy is actually not a general. He's just, um, a pri- he was a prisoner. Uh-huh. Uh, he did some treacherous act against the government. And um, this is a Vietnamese, um, uh, uh, I think he was just a policeman, or right. like a police general. Right. He wasn't even like a high-ranking official, crazy, something like that. But he just assassinated the dude in cold blood. Yeah. And yeah. it's reputed that the bullet is in his head uh-huh. As the picture's being taken. That's why Eddie Adams is such a great uh-huh. photographer. Yeah. He caught the shot of the shot with the bullet going. That's like the most impossible thing. Yeah. I wonder I wonder how many I mean he must have just like that's in, that's incredible ant- anticipation. Yeah, well it's like, in the book yeah. that he he went through a whole roll of film. Like, oh just on that one shot. Like yeah. they show you in this book every every exposure prior to that oh, somewhere. Okay. Yeah, we'll find it. I saw that in there, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's anticipation. So you, but you, I, there was something I, I, I might have been one of the videos or maybe I read it in the article where you said you you initially did a lot of candid stuff on the yes. street right away. And yes. like, that's kind of how you thought you wanted to do it. But you backed off of that and you wanted to do, you moved doing into the portraits and the interaction with the subjects. And that's kind of always an interesting leap for, for people that are working on you know, that work on the street. Well, you know? I feel like I got many different styles. Mm-hmm. And I like to surprise people. I like people to sleep on me. And then I pull out one of those styles that I had back in 2012. Mm-hmm. I pull that style out in, in, in 2048. 
And people right. will be like, yo, I never knew he could do that. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? But I, I also don't put out everything onto the internet. Right. You know what I mean? I, I, I hold back a lot. I share a lot, mm -hmm. which makes people think that I'm sharing everything. Mm -hmm. But I'm always holding back information and holding back work that is going to be more pivotal in the future. They say truth out of season bears no fruit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm, I basically wait for the right season, you know, before I start planting crops. <laughs> you know what yeah, I, mean? I was like, I was so guilty of that too, where it's like when I got first got started, I would just be like, I got to get this stuff out, I got to share it. And now I'm like... I don't, I work, so I think in terms of books. So I'm like, I don't, why do I want to show this stuff when it's, I don't have it, like I haven't built it. Yeah. Like you don't show that. Mm -hmm. you, you show the behind the scenes or whatever afterwards, like after the, you know, you build it and you, you put it out there. So I'm 100% with you. I think like, you, you know, the way you put it out and the way you kind of like, carry yourself online kind of does matter in the way of you course, shape, of shape your... The way people perceive your I'm work. actually editing myself tremendously right now because I put out so much work from 125th and Lex, mm -hmm. and I've had these curators who have been basically consulting me, who found me and said, yo, we need to talk. I'm Damn. talking about curators in France, people who, curators in uh, New York City, people uh -huh. who just said, yo, please call me. Would you, like women, like, would you please call me? Like, yeah, yeah. and then I'll call them. And, they, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they're like, yo, you're undercutting yourself tremendously. I just seen how cheap you're selling your prints. Uh -huh. Where are you getting them printed? Like, and I'll tell them and they'll just laugh. And they'll be like, no, 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 no. Listen, people don't want to spend $250. They want to spend $2,500 mm -hmm. on your mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And you could uh, position yourself in a way better standpoint if you were to just go through the process of, the art world, right. which I was like, what the hell is that? The art world. <laughs> yeah. Like, yo, this is Kalika Allah. I'm going to do me like the art world. Yeah. But there is definitely um, a process to doing things with prudence. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? I could c come out selling prints, but I may not be d doing additions. I wasn't right. doing additions right. You know what I'm saying? So I stopped selling prints. People have mm -hmm. been hollering at me like, yo, I want to buy this picture. I want to buy that picture. I'm like, yo, please check with me back at the end of April. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And um So you haven't have you met it with any gallerists or any publishers? Yes, I've met with a a, a few different gallerists, um, but um we didn't we didn't lock anything down yet. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm kind of more or less like, yo, let me just be a little bit more patient. I don't want I'm I'm in this for longevity. Yeah, yeah. I'm not in this to just blow up and to be this the sensation. Yeah, you're a like, young man too. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know? So I'm in this for the longevity yeah. of it. And uh I don't want to make poor decisions early. Um, and just blow up temporarily. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I did an interview with a guy from Time, um, Adam Glansman, mm -hmm. very good person, and he kind he hooked me up with like a long list of publishers. Nice. And we'll like nice. email all of them, just send them your work, tell them what you want to do. Mm -hmm. They'll all be interested in picking you up. But, um, yeah, you could, I mean, too, I'm like, I, I would assume if, I mean, you probably don't even need to get this, but if you were to go to like review Santa Fe or one of these big, um, you know, portfolio reviews, like, I, cause I've done a couple of those, like where I'm the reviewer and like, you see things happen there. People yeah. like you put it in front mm. of the right person and then like six months later, I'm seeing their book come out uh, from that public. Uh -huh. Cause you have a concentration of all those people in one room. And if you've got something that's killer, like the buzz starts to go around, like, all the reviewers start to talk about that person. I'm like, so I think maybe you know, I should go yeah, to one of those. Well, maybe, but this is what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Like, if you were already kind of like subverting like that whole path, but like, yeah, I, I think you're, it's just a matter of time. And I mean, it's, there's a lot of, definitely a lot of, I think like Anastasia Gallery down in the mm -hmm. Lower East Side would be good because she's really into a lot of the, this kind of like contemporary like social documentary, you know, and like that's, you know, Again, I don't want to put a label on it, but it yeah. would kind of like fall into, you know, that area. I would think, and she's, you know, she's a big supporter of that work. I would um, love to be introduced to her. I mean, I'm, I mean, um, yeah, so would I. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, mean? I mean, no, I went to a couple. I had Bruce Haley. I don't know if you know Bruce Haley, the photographer. You should definitely. I'm gonna send you his link, and I'm gonna. I should introduce you to him too, because he was a war photographer too. Like, went out mm. to Cambodia and did a lot. You'll see his stuff, and he's like leads a reclusive life in California and <laughs> doesn't like attention, doesn't like yeah. all that stuff. He's just all about, but he's, he's another one of those guys that has this just entire like philosophy of the world and like his photography is all fully integrated mm. into, into him, you know, into his being, mm. you know. So I, I, I got to introduce you to Bruce. I think you'd get yeah, a Yeah, please, man. He would, yeah, he'll look at your stuff and he'll love it. And 
but yeah, he's you know, so he was in the gallery, and uh, who else was in there? Natin, uh, Devad was in there. Um, but it's a good a friend of mine, uh, David Wright, also had a show there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the point being is, I think you're gonna have a lot of opportunity. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just from like all the work that I've seen and like the the publishers, you know. But you're right. It's like. You gotta nail it. Like if you do yeah. a book on one twenty, mm-hmm. like it's gotta be the book you want to make. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I always had like a vision for my book mm-hmm. of like the black uh, plastic bag that says "Thank you," like the the quintessential, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, New, yeah. New York City plastic bag that says "Thank you" on it. Like I wanted <laughs> right. that to be the cover yeah. of yeah. the book. Like I got a lot of visions for it, you know. Uh-huh. But like in chess, they tell you, man, like when you play chess and you play on the clock. Give your opponent the option of two good moves, because mm-hmm. he's gonna run down the time and the clock trying to decide which move is better. They're both very good options. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So right now, you know, mm-hmm. options have a way of paralyzing people. Mm-hmm. But I have so many options right now yeah. that I'm kind of like overwhelmed a little bit. That's why I'm just taking a step back and you know thinking, right. okay, and also asking for advice. You know, asking prudent people uh-huh. to give me wisdom. You know what I'm saying? To make good decisions. And and these gallerists and uh, curators have been pivotal these last couple of months uh-huh. for me, helping me do things. Um, I got a, a a friend named Mike. I can't pronounce his last name. I won't. <laughs> I won't try to. But he's he's in D.C. and um another woman named Vicky Toback. Uh-huh. I'm on the phone with them on the regular, uh-huh. and they're just helping me. They're schooling me. They're telling me. They've educated me on a whole nother level. Um, as far as selling prints, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these are people who are collectors and um, work in many different venues, galleries. Right. So I'm speaking with them a lot, mm-hmm. and um, you know, uh, hey, you uh, got your, you've surrounded yourself with <laughs> yeah a lot of wisdom, a mastermind. I mean, yeah, so it's that's I mean that's and you're doing important. the film festival circuit, which is a whole other. Yeah. I mean, I'm in two different worlds, man. Like you know, I always like to say it's like a Venn diagram. You know, and, and filmmaking is one circle and photography is the other, mm-hmm. and I'm in the middle where they overlap. Mm-hmm. And now they're overlapping more and more, and the parts where they're different are becoming smaller and smaller because I'm, I'm, I'm synthesizing and, and bringing together, integrating really these two worlds into one. Those are my two worlds, man. Yeah. I love those yeah. worlds. It's not easy to yeah. do, seamlessly. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but ultimately, man, like, uh, like he said, if you love it, you're going you're gonna to find a way. Like, it's not even going to be a difficult thing, it's just gonna happen naturally. Mm-hmm. Like like in field niggas, the, like I said, the people couldn't differentiate between the video and the still camera, mm-hmm. so they're posing like it's a it's a portrait, although I'm shooting video, so now you get this video portrait, which is like my photography. Mm-hmm. I kinda wanted mm-hmm. you to be able to freeze frame any part of that movie and it looked like my photography, right. like it looked like it's still. So, um, and then when I get up to do Q and A's mm-hmm. about my film, I'm talking about photography half the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, have you gotten any, like, uh, editorial? Like, people reaching out editorial? Yeah, well, um, I, it's funny, man. Um, oh, I told you. Like, the, I'm coming from the New York Times mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, I just yeah, did yeah, a, yeah. So that's going to come out, you know, the, uh, uh, mid-April. Is it for the Lens blog or was it for the magazine? Or? Uh, I think it's the magazine. Damn. Um... I'm not even sure, man, but uh, all I know is New York Times, like, after that, I basically am, am prepping to get my prints, my editions, everything mm-hmm. ready, you know what I'm saying, to start selling prints again. Because people have been asking me, and I've been turning them away, but ultimately, I need to quit my job. Mm-hmm. I'm at a pivotal point. I'm at that, that point where all successful people find themselves when they have to take that jump, that leap of faith yeah. from comfort into the unknown, uh-huh. but for me, it's not really the unknown. The light is already waiting for me. It's already there waiting for me, like just just jump. Right. But I'm being strategic, you know what I'm saying, at the same time. I'm gonna be 30 in July. My plan is to quit uh, two weeks before that and not to work a day past my 30th birthday. That's just my, my, my plan because I know that my work re- requires 100% attention. Mm-hmm. I've already been given it 100%. My work, my job been suffering. Mm-hmm. That's right, if anything, right, yeah, that's what's yeah, been yeah. suffering. Like, yeah. they don't know because I'm a good actor. I'm like right. in there like, yeah, 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 everything is all good, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? But in my mind, I'm writing, I'm writing emails when yeah. I should be doing other shit. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm checking emails, I'm responding to, to comments on Facebook about yeah. my work when I should be like doing, checking the log at, at my job or uh-huh. some shit like that. But at the end of the day, it's all respect, man. They know that um, I'm going to leave righteously. I'm going to mm-hmm. be able to shake the, the my boss's hand. I'm not just going to be like, fuck you and quit. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, so like, after the, the thing with, the, with uh, the New York Times comes out, I'm preparing myself to start selling prints yeah. where I could 
pull real money in to fund what I'm doing. But there were also people who seen field niggas when I was in True False at Columbia. Mm-hmm. Many different um, people that write grants. And they, yeah. they got on the phone with me. Everybody has showed me love. Just like you three yeah, have yeah, just yeah. brought me and showed me love. Everybody has been yeah, showing me yeah. love. And these people that write grants are like, yo, come meet with us. It's almost like they just want to give me the money. They just want to give me. They're like, yo, let's just give this kid money. Yeah, yeah. You know, one woman yeah. from Sundance said to me, you know, after a Q&A after my film, she said, look, I really loved your documentary. I would be interested to see how your filmmaking aesthetic as a documentarian transfers over to the narrative filmmaking landscape. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Wow. She was like, do you have a script? Mm-hmm. I'm like... I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't got no script. Yeah, right, right. I'm like, yeah, because I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank, yo. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't say, you can't say no. You never say, you never yeah. say no. You never yeah. front. You never don't know your numbers. Yeah. You never front. I would have yeah. freestyled yeah. a story to her right there if she needed it. But anyway, this woman, her That's name amazing. is Rachel Channel. All respect mm-hmm. if you hear this. Um, much love because she works with the Sundance Screenwriters Lab. Oh, yeah. yeah, and, yeah man. And she said that I'm an advisor to the Sundance Screenwriters Lab, and there's a good possibility that I could get you into it if you have a script, if you have a story. Dude, I've been writing a masterpiece for the last few oh, nights. Nice. I've been, I wrote the illest story. And you know what the story is? It's everything that happened in the last three years. That, that all the experience that I've had, mm-hmm. that I've experienced as a photographer, almost 25th and Lex, told in a narrative form. Damn. So 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 multiply feel niggas by a narrative film. Mm-hmm. And that's what you that's what you're gonna get. So I'm gonna give her this story on Wednesday mm-hmm. and um we're gonna we're gonna build and she told me it doesn't need to be polished, doesn't need to be pretty yeah, because yeah. the purpose of the lab is to perfect whatever you yeah, wrote. Right. So I think that she loves me and was like, yo, <laughs> let's get this kid here yeah, because yeah, he's yeah, gonna yeah, be a yeah, good yeah, contribution yeah, to yeah, this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No man, that's I mean it's interesting like my one piece of wisdom my old man gave me when I was playing baseball is like, you know, if you ever hit a home run, like when you're crossing home plate, like act like you've been there before. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Like, cause you, you see all these fools that they hit a home run and they're jumping yeah. all around. Like, uh-huh. it's the greatest thing. And he's like, if you ever do it, behave like you belong there, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yep. and like to me, like that is almost in everything. It's mm-hmm. like the more you, show that like if you do something you do it well it's like well of course you know this is what i belong doing you yeah. know and it just yeah. kind of like reminded me right when you said that it's like the That's same thing it's like, yes of course you yeah, know that, that, that advice your father gave you that that could be related to so many aspects of life so that's yeah, i'm gonna yeah. remember that that's yeah i mean if i ever have a son i may tell him that even if, <laughs> even if he plays cricket or something yeah, i may yeah. tell him that yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> well man Khalik, this has been awesome yeah thank dude. you so yeah. much yeah. Yeah. Been, thank you we'll have to maybe have him on. back on yeah, when there's yeah. uh, when we uh you might be back. too famous for us i'll come back anytime Thanks again for joining us. You can go behind the scenes of this episode, see the work of our guests, and the photos we discussed by visiting our Tumblr and lpvshow.com. The LPV Show is executive produced by Brian Formals and co-produced by Tom Starkweather and Eddie Volante. Our score is by Tom Starkweather, who also mixes the show. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>